good morning, church. Glad to see you on this fine, fine Sunday morning. It's not too hot yet, right? Yet, that's the operative word. I'm glad you're here because last week, if you remember, it dumped buckets about the time we started. So I was glad to see that we got a little bit of sunshine today. Anyway, um, we're in this series called uh, Acts because we're just going through the book of Acts. We're going to get as far as we can for the summer. Um, Today, we're finally out of Acts chapter 2. So, I don't know, we spent a lot of time there because it's rich and there's all kinds of good things in it. Um, and part of the reason why we spent some time in there is because it's this picture of, of early church life. And, and what we have in that chapter is really this um, uh, kind of description or picture of, of people who are living life with each other and trying to figure out what faith in Jesus were all about. Not too different from today, right? If we're completely honest. Um, but you also have this picture of people who are also living in the presence of God. So it's not, you know, if, if we kind of dissect it a little bit, you've got love God, love people, right? We've heard that a thousand times, right? But now you've got a picture of what that actually looks like, at least within the early church um, in Acts chapter 2. And, and here's the deal. The reason why we emphasize this idea of the presence of God is simply this. It's because there is no kingdom without a king. And I, I, the more I, I meditate on that thought alone, the more it, it just kind of grips me. There is no kingdom of God without Jesus the king. It's, it's not either or. It is both and. In fact, you've got to get it in the right order, Right? If you don't have the presence of God, then you, you don't have the kingdom of God because there's no kingdom without a king. And so in Acts chapter 3, our, our author, Dr. Luke, um, returns back to the disciples. He's not just looking at um, the early church, but he's talking about the disciples. And what we're going to find is that the favor that they enjoyed, remember the end of Acts chapter 2, they had the favor of all the people. Well, that favor begins to turn into some unwanted attention from a particular group of religious leaders. It's always a church, right? (laughs) So this um, group of religious leaders, uh, Jewish religious leaders, that start to give them some unwanted attention. And it all starts with a particular event. And we're going to look at that event today in Acts chapter 3. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there with me or punch it into your iPhone. I think I mentioned this last week. I'm used to, uh, when I first started doing this, you waited until you stopped hearing people move their pages. And then you could read from the Bible. You can't do that anymore because everybody punches it in and and there's just no sound to it. So anyway, so those of you who are old school like me, Please rustle your pages a little bit more so I know when I can start reading. All right, Acts chapter 3. I'm going to kind of take this in chunks a little bit, and we're going to read through this, and then we're going to talk about it. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. 
Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Now, let's hit the pause button. Let's talk about this for, ju- for just a minute. There's some interesting things that are going on here if we pay attention to it. So, first of all, <clears throat> uh, what, I, what I notice here is that Peter and John were going up to the temple. Okay, you lived in Jerusalem, and didn't matter where you were, you always went up to the temple because it was holy. It's a high place. It was a holy place, so you always went up to it. And they were going at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, here's the deal. If you were a Jew in first century Israel and you lived in Jerusalem, everybody did this. And so one of the things that we have to recognize is that the faith that Peter and John were living out and actually modeling for others was about everyday life. This is part of the normal rhythm of life. And if you remember, we had talked about this before. When you had prayer uh, in the Jewish temple, there was a form to it. There was a format to that prayer that was very Jewish, but the early Christians had it enriched by the presence of Jesus, by the person of Jesus, and by the memory of Jesus. And so here they were in the temple courts. So it's all enriched by that. And and here's the other piece of it. It's a corporate form of worship. Yes, you went for prayer, but you would go with a group of other people and you would all be praying together. And so there's something um, to this idea of corporate worship, of something that happens when the tribe gets together. You can sing all you want, the songs, but when you're here and you're singing with other people, there's just something about it. Now let me explain that a little bit. Uh, I have uh, two daughters, as you know, my youngest sings really loud. And uh, you probably heard her this morning. That happens in my house every day, almost all day long. Almost, not quite. And it's great. It's great to hear her do that. But there's something about it when there are other voices with her. There's just something about corporate, corporate worship that I, I think we, we need to grasp hold of. And it might be a good idea to make that a regular part of our lives too. So, verse 2 then, we're introduced, uh, almost like a camera angle changes a little bit. We're introduced to this, this lame man. And there's a couple of things about here. It says that first he's lame from birth. So this must have been a well-known fact. But anyway, he's lame from birth. And wouldn't it, wouldn't it be appropriate that Dr. Luke, the author of this, would know that about him, diagnosed and all that kind of stuff? He's got some detail here. And so he tells us that he was lame from birth. And he was carried to the, to the gate every single day so that he could beg. And I, I, maybe it's just me, but I wonder, wonder who did that. I wonder who carried him and how that happened. We don't get that detail, but still, it's kind of curious to me why that one's left out. And it seems to me that it's the one place where he could be somewhat productive. He could go and beg, but if he were taken care of by his family, he wouldn't have to do that. So what we have is a picture of of a human being who's in a very pitiable state. 
He doesn't really have anyone to care for him other than to take him to the temple gates to beg. And there he would have to live by whatever alms he would receive from the passers-by. And I would imagine some days would be, would be better and some days would be worse. And it seems to me that there's not a whole lot of care in his life. And I also wonder, too, if he experienced a great deal of shame over that. Can you imagine that? This is the only thing I have to do to survive. And he's fortunate enough to have somebody carry him there. Because otherwise, what would he do? It's really terrible what if, you, if you think about it. It's easy to read over this and go, oh, yeah, there's a lame guy. Mm, no, there's more to that story. It's painful. You dig in a little bit deeper and realize. And of course, um, it talks about what he would normally do. And here's Peter and John going about their normal life, doing the corporate worship, doing what they would do, probably on a daily basis, if, that, if they were able to do that. They were showing up there, and they see the scene. And they, they look uh, at him, and what I find so fascinating about this is that Peter says, look at us. Look at us. So he does. You know, of course, he's expecting to receive something. Oh, does he receive something, doesn't he? And I love this picture because I don't have gold and I don't have silver. But I do have something. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. Now, this isn't a big showy kind of thing. He just says, in the name of Jesus, walk. Now, in, in David world, it's shazam, right? But it's, but it's not that. I mean, this is just kind of, I, I mean, I, I'm sure there's authority to his voice, but this is very simple. Walk. And I think that's an incredible, beautiful thing. But, but understand that Peter is dealing with the underlying issue. The gold and silver part is the presenting problem. But that's not the real problem. The real problem is the man can't work, can't take care of himself. I want you to understand something. This unnamed lame beggar did not win the lottery. You understand that? He didn't get a boatload of money in that moment that would take care of him for the rest of his life. No, Peter dealt with the underlying, actually Jesus dealt with the underlying issue. You need to walk so that you can have the dignity of work. You see, the thing it is, is when, when God does a healing, it's always multi-leveled. It's not just about the healing, but it's about the rest of it. A great example of this is when he, when he would heal lepers. And he would tell them, go in and show yourself to the priests. Why? Because only a priest could declare whether or not that person was clean and could re-enter community. That's additional healing. Do you see this? Same case. Yes, I understand you're begging. I understand it's shameful. But the real issue is not that you don't have enough money, but is that you don't have the dignity of work and self-support. You see that? And so here, Jesus is dealing with this underlying issue. He healed him so that he could live a productive life. A productive life. And if we go down to verse 10, I love this. Of course, he's jumping around, right? I mean, he was lame from birth. He didn't know what jumping around is. So here he is. He's going he's gonna to do it all. I, I, have this, I have this image of, uh, of you know, somebody in his 20s, 30 years old who's jumping around like a kid who's like four or five. 
Now, if you stick around after church, you'll see a bunch of them running around. Think about that, okay? That's the image that we get here. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture of making up for lost time. And of course, the people recognized him. Wait, 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 wait. Isn't that the, isn't that the guy who was, God, that's a guy. What, what's he doing? That's a, and it says that they were filled with wonder and amazement at what happened to him. Wonder and amazement. Wonder and amazement. I keep thinking about this idea of the kingdom of God because when we, we can't have the kingdom without, without the king, right? But what is the kingdom of God? And the definition that I'm kind of working with these days, um, and this may change, but this is kind of where I'm at today, is that the kingdom of God is the rule of God. It's when God is ruling that's where we find the kingdom. Of course, to rule, he has to be present. But the point is, is that, that it's the rule of God. And of course, we live in kind of the not complete yet kingdom. But Jesus inaugurated the kingdom of God when he came, and it will be in completion when he come, comes back again. And there's a lot of theology that's related to that, but the simplicity of it is when God reigns in, in a particular area or in a particular group of people, that's the kingdom of God because he's present. And the thing that I've noticed over and over, especially in the scriptures and even occasionally in, in, my, own, in my own life, is that when the rule of God, when the kingdom of God is revealed, people can't help but be amazed. Just this kind of, what is going on here? Wonder and amazement. Now, Peter seizes upon this opportunity that was created. So let's go on and read through the rest of the part of Acts chapter 3, beginning with verse 11. I want you to see this because Peter starts preaching again. Remember, he did that in Acts chapter 2, and now he's going to pick it up and he's going to give a little talk, a little homily, a little sermonette of, of sorts. Let's see what he has to say. <clears throat> uh, beginning with verse uh, 11. Where am I here? Well, the beggar held on to Peter and John. Isn't that great? He's just he's so excited. He's, he's hugging somebody. All the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. When Peter saw this, he said to them, Men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness uh, we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has given this complete healing to him, as you can all see. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying, that his Christ would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Christ who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything 
as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from among his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said, uh, he said to Abraham, Through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised him up, when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. This is the word of the Lord, and we believe it. So here we are in Acts chapter 3. We started in verse 11. And my, one of my favorite questions of all is right here. Peter saw that all these people were running to him. He says, why does this surprise you? Isn't that great? Why, why are you surprised by this? Because remember in Acts chapter 2, it says that signs and wonders were done by the apostles. So this stuff has been going on before, and so here is a, is a lame beggar, and he gets healed, and he's jumping around, and the people are astonished, and he's wondering why. This has been going on, and you're looking at us like we did something. We didn't do anything. This is attributable to someone else. Now, this is where it gets, I think, a little bit interesting. It's not out of our own power or out of our godliness. So verses 13 through 18, he basically points to Jesus. And what's so funny, it's the way he starts talking about Jesus that I think is interesting. It's almost like, okay, again, David world a little bit. It'd be like, yeah, remember that guy that, you know, you killed on a cross? Yeah, him. Yeah, it's by him, that guy. That guy that you disowned in front of Pilate. Yeah, it's by him. It's almost like he's rubbing it in just a little bit. You know, just a little bit to kind of make his point, right? But it's just this, this notion of, look, even though you meant this for evil, look at the good that's going to come out of this because this is really what God is all about. And in my mind, I'm like, this is the kingdom. God is ruling over things like sickness and, and disease and, and past pain and all of those things, and God's going to take care of that. And so Jesus comes and, and they... They, they point to, to Jesus and his spirit and says, yeah, that's the one. He's the one. And so in verse 19 then, he says, repent, turn to God um, to eliminate the sin. And I, I noticed this too that I find really interesting. So that your sins uh, may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. This is interesting to me, that times of refreshing may come to the Lord. Um, <clears throat> it, it's, it's, it's actually the word in Greek means to cool off or to catch your breath. Isn't that cool? So that times where you can catch your breath, for the times that you can, you can kind of cool down a little bit, you know, may come to you. See, very often the result of sin is more sin. Have you ever noticed that? Either you keep going down the same path or somebody you know keeps doing the self-destructive things, but one of the results of sin is almost always more sin. And let me just say that running away from sin and its consequences is exhausting. It makes you tired. 
And you know people like this if you've not experienced it yourself. And so he says, look, turn from your sin. That's what repent means. Repent means a 180 degree turn. So I'm going towards sin. Repent means go the opposite direction. To do something different. And you turn from that, you turn toward God, and you find relief, refreshing, cooling down. It's this pattern of New Testament forgiveness, I think. When you repent and say, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. I'm going to turn towards God. And oh, by the way, you make the repentance and you screw up, guess what? You can repent again. Because we're human beings and we make mistakes. That's why we have something called grace. Now, does it mean that you actively do that? No, of course not. That doesn't make sense because it's not real repentance. But the point is, is that sometimes things happen. And you make boneheaded errors. Again. For the 57th time. This became very real to me when I was a parent. <clears throat> and I remember when Elizabeth was real little. And um, we got the little plugs for the electrical outlets. How many of you have done this with your kids, right? But here's the thing. I want you to think about this. If your child has like a paper clip and starts heading for the electrical outlet, you're going to turn them away from it, right? At least I hope so, right? You're going to turn them away from it. And if they do it a second time, you're going to turn them away from it. And if they do it a 27th time, you're going to turn them away from it. How about the 300th time? Now you're going to be a little, little cranky at that point, right? You're going to be a little agitated. But the point is, do you love your child less because they're doing a boneheaded thing like walking towards the electrical outlet with a paperclip? No, of course not. How much more your perfect father in heaven will continue to love you even though you do boneheaded things. Does this make sense? That's repentance. That's what grace is. Oh, I'm so glad for that grace. Because there are some things that I know I'm well beyond the 300 mark. <laughs> and yet I know that he still loves me, still chooses me, still sees me for who I am, what he wants from me. And oh yeah, by the way, the translation here in the NIV is a little bit off. Let me show you. Uh, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from, and this is literally, the presence of the Lord. There's that concept again. We've been talking about this quite a bit, this idea of the presence of the Lord. Look, if you want the cooling down, if you want the refreshment, if you want that relief, it comes from the presence of God. And we've been talking a lot about that in recent weeks and recent months is the idea of presence. Here's one of the, here's one of the great benefits from it is there's a certain amount of relief to it. It's beautiful kind of a thing. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of God. Did Peter just talk about presence? Yeah, he did. Now, notice where Peter lands in verse uh, 25. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. The, the term here, heirs, is literally sons. You are sons of the prophets, um, sons and daughters of the, of the prophets. And that means that if you are of the lineage of a prophet, then you have something to say. You have something to, to do. And of course he says, and the covenant, 
course, the covenant refers to is the one that God made with Abraham. And he says, I will bless you and you will bless others. In fact, all of the nations. In fact, the the term here, or the, the words that are used, is that you are blessed, now command, go and be a blessing. So you are blessed. Um, uh, you are blessed in order to be blessed. So yeah, all that Old Testament stuff still matters. It's important. And remember, Peter's not preaching from a New Testament. It hadn't been written yet. But he's preaching out of the Old Testament. And he's drawing these things in so that the people that he's speaking to would understand because they would have understood the Old Testament. So it still matters. And of course, Peter's speaking to his fellow Jews, and that's why he's using all this, and yet I'm reminded of something that um, another New Testament writer, Paul, wrote. Here it is, Romans chapter 8. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the, what's the word? Children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship and daughtership. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. Which is really interesting. That word, Abba, um, comes from a dialect. And um, it means, it's much more familiar than just Father. It means like Papa or Daddy. Did you know that? It's a, it's a, it's a very striking word. Um, by him we, uh, we cry, Papa. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. We are God's children. So in that sense, like he's saying, is that we're heirs too. And by the way, um, Paul wrote this elsewhere too. He wrote it in Ephesians chapter 1. And remember, um, Peter and John were in the temple doing this healing. John later wrote in 1 John uh, chapter 3, wrote the same thing, that we're adopted as sons and daughters. So we too are heirs, not just the Jews, but you and me. We are heirs. We are adopted as sons and God, sons and daughters of God. And as such, we are blessed so that we might bless others. You have to understand this. If you want to have the, the kingdom of God, there is an economy to it, and it is about receiving blessing from the Father in order to bless others. It's not something we hang on to. It's okay if you benefit from it. That, that's fine. But the point is we don't hang on to it, that we actually do something with that blessing that we receive, whatever it is. Like I said, it's God's economy to be passing around blessing to others. And of course, this has enormous implications if we really think about it because we are blessed with time. We are blessed with energy. We are blessed with um, finances. We are blessed with giftedness because we all have a certain amount of giftedness and that's what God uses within his economy in order to bless others. Lots and lots of implications for that. So here's the thing. When we spend some time in his presence, his power begins to flow. In fact, his presence is power. As much today as then, yes, even making lame beggars walk today. That would be a blessing, would you agree? Yeah. Or whatever the ailment is. Um, recently, um, I was with a group of pastors and we were talking about this idea of prophecy. 
And prophecy, at least in the New Testament, is often a spoken blessing over someone. And I find this um, fascinating because prophecy is, is a word from God himself. And the vast majority of times that I have been around people who, who have had that gift of being able to prophesy, it's almost a blessing. You know, the Lord says this to you. And, and it really is something about who they are. Um, in that same group, I had some blessing that was spoken over me that I, I needed to hear. And sometimes I think we, we miss out on, on that because we don't understand that the presence of God and when God starts doling out those things, we can't help but talk about it and to bless other people. And those words are always um, from God for the development of the other person, almost always. You know, things like healing and miracles and prophecy, they belong to us. You know, and this is strange because I didn't grow up in a tradition that's, that's, uh, that's charismatic in nature, and yet I have a hard time separating these two things. If, if I'm interested in the presence of God being the, the force that changes me, that makes me into more like Jesus, then how would I not act like Jesus or his disciples? I think that's a very real thing. But the key to all of this is that you've, you've, we've got to get it in the right sequence here. The first blessing, as it says right at the end of this passage, is the blessing is turning away from, from destructive behavior and beliefs and then you get the blessing of his presence. And out of that, that divine power to bless others. Do you see this? There's this conduit thing that's going on here. And I think we've got to understand that if we really want to see the rule of, of God happening, it's not about following a list of rules, but rather being in his presence, listening to him, what he has to say, and sharing those things with other people. And I have to believe that if we're in his presence and we're actually hearing him, he's going to have something to say to others. Are you with me? This just seems natural to me. I think that's an important thing for us to, to grasp. So out of all that divine power to bless others. It's hard to read through the book of Acts and not see how the presence and the power are connected with one another. How the kingdom comes from the king who's there. Does this make sense? Figuring out how that fits together. You know, every, every um, Sunday, uh, Pastor James and I, we always go in the back and we're willing to you know, pray for people. And, and again, you know, that's open uh, today too. <clears throat> we would love to do that because we really feel like we try to spend our time in the presence of God because you know, God wants to do something not just through Thrive Church, but in Thrive Church. Not just through you as individuals, but inside of you, each as individuals. And I, I really think that <clears throat> unless the inside gets changed, the outside behavior is never going to change. Is that, is, are you with me on that one? That there has to be something that goes on inside of us. And uh, if we really want to see God's power, however it works out, and, you know, it's his church. He can do whatever he wants. But if we really want to see that, it all starts with, oh, God, I just need to be in your presence a little bit more. 